You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're all still shocked and heartbroken by the mass shooting last week in Oxford. These are the kinds of events that spark these bigger conversations that we're now trying to have about how we address gun violence in this country. They shake us by the shoulders and force us to stare at the gun violence epidemic square in the face. But they also make up a tiny fraction of the problem that we have here in America. Gun violence is endemic in this country, which is home to more guns than people. The violence from guns happens every hour of every day. And I don't really need to tell you that if you live here in Southeast Michigan. The city of Detroit is a daily reminder of the violence that we have just become accustomed to in America that is caused by people with guns. According to the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence, more than 300 people are shot every day in America, and 106 of them die. Think about that for a second. That's 116,000 people each year. We want to spend the rest of the hour today talking about the nature of gun violence in America and what we can possibly do to make all of those numbers I was just talking about a lot smaller. And to help us do that, I'd like to welcome a leading expert on these issues. Dr. James Allen Fox is a professor of criminology, law, and public policy at Northeastern University and a leading expert on gun violence in America. Dr. Fox, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much, Stephen. So first, I would love to get your reaction to what we saw last week here in Southeast Michigan in Oxford and the questions or observations you have as a criminologist. Sure. Well, I, the problem with when we have these high profile events like that is that people often start believing that this is the norm. In fact, we often hear that, that school shootings are the new normal. Well, they're not. So first understand that our schools are safe. Yes, this is a senseless, horrific tragedy, but it's not happening all the time. It's not happening everywhere. Uh, and we start thinking that we go down a rabbit hole and perhaps uh, implement procedures that sometimes do more harm than good. So let's first understand that, let's take for example, um, kids killed at school. Uh, on an average year, there's just under seven students killed at school by a, by a classmate or an intruder mm -hmm. using a gun. Now, that's horrible, of course, for the seven students and their families and the communities. But let's try to put that in perspective that we have 55 million school children in this country. So the, the risk is, is rather low. Uh, in terms of active shooter events where people die at schools, one to two a year in the United States. Compare that to over 100,000 schools. Now, I don't want to minimize the pain and suffering that occurs, but this is not an epidemic. 
Um, in fact, um, when you compare those seven students who die each year at their schools to the fact that 30 students are killed each year commuting to school, not by gun violence, but in bicycle accidents mm -hmm. while they're traveling to school mm -hmm. as a pedestrian in a school bus. We don't have, for example, this country, a requirement for bicycle helmets for, for minors. Uh, yes, half the states do, but half the states don't. We want to protect our children. Perhaps that's one of the easy ways is to have a natural bicycle helmet law. Mm. So there's a lot of things we could do. Or, or for example, we have um, many, many more times kids were killed each year uh, in swimming pool accidents. We need more uh, lifeguards at pools rather than armed guards at schools. Mm -hmm. So yes, this is very, very high profile when it happens. Makes it, it's, it dominates the news for, for days after days after days, but let's not, let's try to keep it in perspective. Yeah. So, so here's the thing that for me makes something like the Oxford shooting really stand out and really get our attention. And, and I, and I really love that you started with putting it in some perspective that this doesn't happen all the time. This doesn't happen everywhere. But the fact that it did happen and the way it happened in this case is reflective, I think, of how out of control gun distribution and possession and use is in the wider culture. In other words, you can look at the particulars of this incident and see echoes of the other things that are wrong, starting with the fact that a 15-year-old was able to get his hands on a gun to go and do this at school. Now, if he'd gone and done it at the corner store or at a park, we would be just as outraged because it's the, it's the violence itself that gets our attention. And that violence is part of an ecosystem in this country that is very permissive of and very tolerant of the number of guns that exist, the people who have them, and the things that they decide to do with them. I agree 100%. By the way, since you mentioned playgrounds or parks, uh, we have more kids who are killed uh, in playgrounds or parks, even with, even with guns, than in schools. Mm -hmm. Schools are safe. Mm -hmm. In schools, kids have supervision, uh, uh, programming, they're with adults, uh, as opposed to when they're after school, for example, which is a much more dangerous time for kids. But in terms of guns, yes, absolutely. As you in, indicated in your opening, there are more guns than people. Not that everyone has one. Uh, it's just that some people have many. Right. Uh, and, and, in, and in terms of the shooter uh, in your school, in the Oxford school, uh, it would be illegal. It was illegal for him to purchase one, mm -hmm. but not to possess one. Of course, we, we are rightly looking at the responsibility of parents in that situation. And, uh, you know, I, and I, in fact, I support the prosecution of the parents. But let me also say this that what is most likely to happen if you don't secure a gun in your home or even have, have your child have access to it? 
even as a gift, as a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. The most like, more likely thing to happen is that that gun will be used against you or someone else in your family. Much more likely than that kid will take that gun to school and use it against a classmate. And if that doesn't deter a parent, the prospect of or of a child committing suicide, or killing a sibling, or killing one of the or you, if that doesn't deter a parent, well, I don't think prosecution will hmm. yeah. in this kind of event. So I support it, but let's not also think that's going to send a message out there to parents that they've got to now secure their guns. They should secure their guns because of suicide, a child's teenage suicide. That's the bigger issue, actually. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things about the gun culture in our, in our country is a political one, of course. If you, for many, many gun owners, the Second Amendment protecting their rights is the number one issue. They will not vote for a candidate if that candidate is not a pro-gun person. It's a litmus test. However, for people on the other side, including me, I'm a, I, I'm very much in favor of gun control. I will, that's not going to sway my vote. I voted, I have voted in the past for, for candidates who are pro-gun, but it's the, it's the balance of what their policies and their, and their, and their platform is. I was a you know, big supporter of Bill Clinton. He was not anti-gun. <laughs> so one side uses guns as a litmus test. The other side does. And that's why we have such uh, a problem with doing anything legislatively uh, in Washington. Yeah. I'm talking, on the issue of guns. I'm talking with Dr. James Allen Fox. He's a professor of criminology, law, and public policy at Northeastern University. He is a leading expert on gun violence in America. Um, He has published 18 books, dozens of journal and magazine articles, and hundreds of freelance columns in newspapers around the country, primarily in the areas of multiple murder, youth crime, school and campus violence, workplace violence, and capital punishment. Uh, We're talking about uh, the gun culture in America. We're talking about gun laws in America and what we might do to create a different kind of environment for ourselves, one in which the daily gun violence that we see in all kinds of places in our country is not sort of uh, part of the, 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 the wallpaper, is not just part of life in America. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Call and tell us what you think we need to do about the prevalence of guns in America and gun violence. Uh, What do you want lawmakers to do? What are you comfortable with lawmakers doing that they're not doing to try to prevent gun violence? Talk to us not just about gun laws, but the spectrum of other kinds of legislation that might reduce violence or the tendency for violence in America. As always, the, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Mike in Oxford. Mike, welcome to the show. Are you there, Mike? Yes, I am. Yeah, go ahead. Um, can we repeal the Dickey Amendment? I think that would be a good place to start. I think that has hobbled us for years. 
Uh, I feel very strongly about this, especially now because I am an Oxford High School graduate, mm-hmm. and so are several of my family members. Mm. Uh, I didn't know anybody involved with this, but when we have a legal firearm that was purchased legally in a local store, and then this can happen, it, it just seems like I, I know your guest is saying that it's uh, not as prevalent as it seems, but you never think it's going to happen in your town until it does. Mm-hmm. So my question is, can we repeal the Dickey Amendment, and what would it take to actually do that? Yeah. So we should start, I think, with an explanation for our other listeners uh, about what the Dickey Amendment is. Uh, and it's a provision in the 1996 uh, omnibus spending bill, which mandated that, quote, none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the CDC can be used to advocate or promote gun control. It is commonly understood, as I would would understand it, I guess, it, as a prohibition on the kinds of government research into gun violence and gun possession and, and distribution uh, that you would see the CDC do in other areas. In other words, we've seen the CDC be very, very proactive in determining the dangers of and the, the, the needed response to the COVID-19 epidemic. They couldn't do the same thing with regard to gun violence uh, because of this amendment. Uh, Dr. Fox, I want to first make sure that I'm explaining that correctly. I'm sure you understand this much, much better yes. than I do. But then but then to have you react to, to Mike, who, who lives in the community where this just happened a few weeks ago, and is concerned that 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 this perhaps is one of the things that's in the way of us coming up with more sensible policy. Well, I, th- I think the the amendment certainly was ill uh, ill advised. But let's also understand that gun research is going on. In fact, even at the CDC, there's a, a new request for proposals uh, for research on firearms violence. Uh, their research has been funded by the National Institute of Justice for years. In fact, I'm just finishing a three-year grant on, on public mass shootings. So I agree that it, it, it symbolically is a bad thing and it's too bad because the CDC prior to the Dickey Amendment was doing some great research on gun homicides, uh, but I think they're getting back to it. So at least they're funding the research that others will be doing. As far as policy changes, I'll, I'm more concerned about the TR Amendment, which I'll explain. The TR Amendment is one that that at one the the uh, ATF uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms maintains database on the source of gun where guns are purchased, and if a gun shows up in a crime, they can trace it to where it was sold initially. Uh, a lot of research was being done using those data. In fact, I was using the tr- gun tracing data uh, in some legislation and some I'm sorry in some um, litigation against the gun industry uh, that would show, for example, that 1% of gun dealers were responsible for over half the gun crimes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm not saying necessarily that those 1% of gun dealers are nefarious or not doing their job correctly, uh, but it's a possibility and that should be investigated. Mm -hmm. But the TR Amendment, all of a sudden said you can't that, that those data cannot be used by researchers like me. Uh, it can only be used to investigate a crime. 
as opposed to understanding patterns like this. Right. I would like to see that that amendment repealed because obviously that's that's an avenue to make sure we get with, that we deal with the rogue gun dealers sure. who are not following the law. Yeah. Um, and it's not just rogue gun dealers. I mean, there there are, there are gun dealers who are who are part of the pipeline between legal gun distribution and sales and mm-hmm. illegal possession. But you also have a lot of individuals in this country who are part of that, maybe not intentionally, but through their carelessness. Yeah. And it's worth noting that when these crimes are committed with guns each day in our country. The guns that are used in those crimes were at some point sold legally to someone. Yeah. It's not as though criminals go and rob the gun factory or mm-hmm. or the gun store to get these. There is this connection between legal purchase and possession and illegal possession and use. And we, we don't talk much about how to how to zero in on that and how to regulate that in a way that that lessens the possibility of. Plus, let's also know that that, uh, for example, a recent national survey of gun owners and where did they how and where did they get their most recent gun purchase that over 20 percent purchased a gun privately without a background check. So the, the background check system uh, isn't perfect. We know that because there have been some flaws in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it does primarily do what it's supposed to do. However, you can buy a gun uh, at a private sale, at a gun at a, at a gun show. Not all, not you know, there are dealers, there are sellers at gun shows who are not licensed. Uh, of course, then there's ghost guns. So there's lots of different ways that guns are acquired, other than through legal legitimate means through a gun dealer and that's something we have to deal with yeah yeah okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to continue this conversation with dr james allen fox about gun policy and gun laws we are also going to continue to hear from you both on social media and on the phones sam and mount clemens will in ferndale mindy in oxford we'll hear from you next if you want to join them 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And again, you can go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work those into the conversation as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to this right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dr. James Allen Fox. He's a professor of criminology, law, and public policy with Northeastern University and one of our country's leading experts on gun violence. We're talking about gun policy, gun laws, the things that I think we are reminded of when something like the Oxford High School shooting happens as it did a few weeks ago. We're talking about what the opportunity is to maybe think about these things a little differently, maybe institute different policies and legislation that would make these kinds of events less likely. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter. 
the comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go next to Mindy in Oxford. Mindy, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, my thought, my question is about how the NRA and other gun groups rate our politicians, our local politicians, and they are under a lot of pressure to get 100% rating um, from these gun groups. And they are also challenged to sponsor a certain number of pro-gun legislation. And the, the NRA and other gun groups define what they can vote against and how they vote. Like data, everything else is not part of it. It's just um, if you vote for this, you lose your rating. If you don't, even like bird, uh, migratory bird laws, it's all d- dictated by these groups and this need for 100% rating to get their endorsement. Mm. Mm. Is there anything that can be done about that? Like, <clears throat> Great question, um, Mindy. And, yeah. and you know, the gun lobby is, at least historically, one of the most powerful, at least in Washington. And it does shape a lot of the, the policy and law that, that we have. Uh, Dr. Fox, I wonder if you can talk about what, what Mindy is asking about, but also talk about the current circumstances that the NRA faces. It is in a different place today than it probably has been ever in its in its lifetime and it's a little less powerful than I think we're used to it being. Right. It had it has seen a reduction in its power and its finances, etc. But that doesn't mean, however, that pro-gun groups uh, still don't have it doesn't mean that they don't have the power that they do have. And we can't obviously stop any group from from raiding politicians. Um, you know, actually, Brady, the Brady uh, folks do it as well. Of course, the, the rating is the opposite from an NRA type of rating. Uh, it's, a, it's it's sad. I mentioned at the very beginning how how there are so many people whose vote depends on what a politician does regarding guns in terms of being pro-gun as opposed to uh, we don't tend to anti-gun folks like myself, don't tend to seek out candidates just be, just based on that one issue. It's one of many issues. The only solution there really is the, is the electorate, is that if there, if there are politicians who are continuing to kowtow to, to the gun industry, to the manufacturers, to the, to the gun rights groups, we've got to vote them out of office. But that's, <laughs> but that's really the only solution. We can't, obviously we can't muzzle any organization prevent them to do whatever ratings they want to do. Sure. One of the problems is that I think that the NRA is is a lobby group that is tied closely to the gun industry and seems to reflect more of its priorities than even the priorities of gun owners themselves. And I'm not saying that most gun owners wouldn't support the NRA or or believe that the the things that they're doing are are, are right, but I I think there is this distinction that's important in our politics and in our governance about the power of corporate lobbying versus individuals. I think if if you had gun owners speaking through primarily through the NRA, the policies might look a little different than. Than they do because of the gun industry. Yeah, well, we have that in terms of the, the big farm, uh, pharmacy, same I mean, thing, the right. pharmaceuticals, same thing. Doesn't mean it can't be uh, impacted. Here in Massachusetts, for example, uh, our state, which has really some of the strictest gun laws in the country and lowest gun homicide rate, uh, Smith and Wesson uh, was, you know, 
is uh, well, it has been located in Massachusetts, and the state decided basically that we're going to force them not to sell assault weapons because you can't. You, we, we're, we've abandoned assault weapons in the state. But that ban did not say that they couldn't be produced by Smith and Wesson. But now, as state going after Ms. Smith and Wesson, now now Smith and Wesson is deciding to leave the state. Mm-hmm. So there are ways that we can impact the gun manufacturers. And of course, the other way is is to reduce the is to eliminate the immunity that the gun industry has had. Um, you know, years ago, many many of the concessions from the gun manufacturers came through through lawsuits, lawsuits in Boston, in New York, in California, uh, that sued the gun manufacturers. Now, that was successful in terms of getting settlements and getting concessions. Unfortunately, Congress passed law that, that prevents those kind of lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, three- Can I say one other thing that, yeah, that, that I think is important? You know, we've seen in this year a, a surge in gun sales you know part of it of course was covid related and mm-hmm. uh, there was just people worrying that that some uh, someone who's was gonna some intruder was gonna come in their home try to steal their toilet paper when there was a shortage mm-hmm. um and uh then there was some uh, surge in gun sales because when biden was ahead in the polls uh that some pro-gun folks believed wrongly that Biden would somehow eliminate the Second Amendment and they had to go get their guns now. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, these guns that are being that were purchased too often are used not just in stranger-related crimes or school crimes, but in the against the family. We saw a tremendous increase in the last four years in intimate partner homicides. Guns being used against a loved one, a uh, spouse, uh, also against fa- other family members. So what's happening is these guns are being purchased ostensibly to protect the family. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those same guns get used um, against the family member in the heat of an argument. And during the during the uh, pandemic, when families were cloistered together, uh, hour after hour after hour, we saw this big rise in in homicide within the family mm-hmm. using these very same guns that were purchased to protect the family. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen. How are you? Sure. Great. Uh, um, great to hear from you. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, real quick, or I'll try to be quick. Um, I, I agree with your guest about the political aspects of this. Um, I think it's ridiculous. I am an independent. I am a gun owner and a very concerned parent. Hmm. Um, I, I can't stand it that people vote for somebody based on one issue. I think that's just ridiculous. Um, that being said, when I was a kid, my dad had guns. And I'm in my 40s now. I never thought once to ever get to his firearms hmm. or anything like that. And then Columbine happened. Okay. Now, fast forward, um, I have an eight-year-old daughter. My guns are locked away in safes that nobody can get to them mine. They're electronic. They're uh, everything else. I want to go more towards the cognitive thing, mental health. Um, so what happened in 99 and when all this started uh, transpiring with these school shootings, I think 
Um, I was just jumping to, like, I agree. There's a problem with guns. Mm-hmm. I think people should not have guns that don't, they shouldn't have guns if that makes any sense. You know, um, I think we do need a national database of that. Um, I, I can't stress enough how sad I am and sickened about the school shootings, mm-hmm. but being a gun owner, I am responsible for my firearm. Yeah. Um, so, so Sam, I, I really appreciate your calling and sharing that perspective because you're a gun owner. And I think one of the things that, that we have a real problem with is the culture. There are, there are many, many, many responsible gun owners out there. I mean, there, there are lots of people who, who own guns for totally legitimate reasons and are completely responsible with them. Our, our, our problem, of course, is that we have a lot of other people who are not responsible and that the laws in the country are, are not focused on dealing with uh, the, the, the inappropriate use of these guns or the inappropriate sale. Of, of these guns, and it, it kind of pits responsible gun owners against uh, against uh, people who want to, you know, create better better gun safety laws. I mean, it, it's a weird dynamic. Uh, Dr. Fox, we only have about a minute left, but I want to give you a chance to react to what Sam's saying as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I think this is the slippery slope idea that that if the gun Gun rights folks, if they if they give an inch, we'll all take a mile. Right. That's not going to happen. I mean, there was this fear when Biden gets elected, the Second Amendment will be repealed. There's no. <laughs> uh, the same thing was when when Hillary Clinton was running that she's going to take away take away all your guns. That's not going to happen. Uh, having responsible change in. In gun legislation, and there's many things we can do and should do, doesn't mean we will not have a Second Amendment. And unfortunately, the fear of one of a large group of people that you can't do anything because that that will just lead to the elimination of Second Amendment. That's stopping us from doing responsible things. Yeah. We talk about it, you know, in, in the wake of a mass shooting, we hear all this talk about we need to do X, Y, and Z. It doesn't get done, unfortunately, and it doesn't get done because of this concern about this slippery slope. Yeah. Okay, Dr. James Allen Fox, really great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Thanks so much for joining. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about Michigan's new auto insurance law with an analyst who's taken a deep dive into the successes and failures of those reforms. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station.